He therefore classified the whole of the animal world, a major task. He tilled and dressed the garden, an agricultural task. He thus very quickly developed the basic skills to maintain life and to live in uh, terms of a reasonable command of knowledge. Thus, you have to say, Adam indeed was a remarkable person. Then you have to recognize Adam began at the beginning with all the potentialities, all the genetic abilities of the human race concentrated and unformed, so that there was a clear mind of a high degree of intelligence unaffected by sin so that he could very readily grapple with its problem. Very interesting point that I read recently, written by a psychologist who is a thoroughgoing humanist, but a very good scholar. In his book he says, the problem with modern man is not a lack of intelligence. The inner conflict and tension which makes him unable to use his intelligence. And then he went on to say one of the things that characterizes most people, and he said, the more people are free to work the way they want to work, the harder it becomes for them to work. Why? Well, they will sit down, and he cites the example of writers who will sharpen their pencils and arrange the paper on the desk and stall endlessly before getting down to work although they know what to say or people who will stall on doing a job and he says man's psychological tensions are so great that he is unable to get directly to what he has to do we're all familiar with the fact that if we're upset it's hard for us to settle down to work well looking at what he says in terms of our perspective, we have to say that he is simply calling attention to the fact that the sinner is not able to function effectively because the fact of his sin so disturbs and troubles his mind that he is continually at war with himself. Now, this problem was not present in Adam. This problem will not be present in us in the new creation we will then function perfectly. Yes? Uh, I can remember you're reminding us describing how in the past uh, children and even very small children had more responsibility than they do today and also that they learned so much more faster and, and were doing prodigious feats at, at young ages. And then also I can think even now that, uh, that a, a, a child in his earthly father's house playing a saxophone, studying it maybe for a couple of years, might be performing a more complicated work and with more discipline and more understanding than he would 30 years later in the world of making a big salary. So in terms of this and in terms of creationism, uh, as man throws off the aspect of uh, statism and so forth, can you imagine 
different way of education, or this different form that education would take for the rearing the young. Yes. Well, you in effect have stated it. Uh, as you said, I have on other occasions called attention to the fact that a couple of centuries ago and almost to the Civil War in this country, it was very common for young boys to uh, have a capacity in girls for knowledge far beyond what even college graduates assimilate today. And in those days, a person went to college or university at the age of 14 or 15, having finished everything that we now consider grade and high school work, by about 13 or 14 at the latest. Moreover, they were mature much earlier, and I've cited the example a couple of times before, but it's good and bears repeating, since a few of you have not heard it, of Admiral Farragut who at the age of 59 was a 50-year veteran in the U.S. Navy. He entered at nine as a cabin boy. In his day, men commanded ships before they were out of their teens. Many uh, scholars were mathematicians and scholars working or managing businesses before they were out of their teens. You had then a Christian concept of man, and man being Christian was better self-disciplined and better able to function. But as you have had the development of humanism, you have had the coddling on the one hand of children, and they remain babies much longer, and boys and girls much longer, and you have their inability to function. Now, Christian education will progressively bring the age of maturity lower and lower, so that, again, maturity will be something that people have in their teens or when they hit their teens. So it will make a difference. And man will have a different concept of himself and of his past, present, and future. Now the goal, of course, is, as I pointed out before, perpetual childhood, as it were. Yes. Recently, I Yes, there's a book written about the work of this girl among the chimpanzees. Well, you see, if you have an inadequate definition of man or a false definition, what you come up with? If, as some scholars have said for a long time, man is a tool-making animal, the chimp makes a tool. It's just a little twig. Therefore, the chimp is probably a man. Uh, 
Now, it's like the definition I cited once, man is a two-legged animal. And chickens are men, too. <laughs> you see what happens with them. They begin with a false definition and they wind up with a false conclusion. Something else on TV. Uh, twice this week, Buckley's interview of B.S. Skinner has been on the air. Did anyone uh, listen to that? One person. Now, oh, two. B.S. Skinner is a Harvard psychologist, a behaviorist. He has written a book, Beyond Freedom and Dignity. It's behaviorism, and I think the best statement of behaviorism was by John Broadus Watson, and I have a chapter on him in my book, The Messianic Character of American Education. His whole point of view is that we cannot talk about man as being responsible. And he said the older perspective, the Christian one, was that a man sinned, he was responsible for this and that. And he said then the newer liberal perspective was that, well, you weren't responsible, it was your parents' fault, or it was your teacher's fault, or the community's fault. And he said this is still a hangover from the old idea of responsibility. But what we have to say is that man is just a series of reflex actions so that you cannot say he is responsible. You cannot say he is guilty. You cannot, uh, in fact, talk about his freedom. In fact, we have to develop a society which is beyond freedom and beyond dignity. We have to condition men totally. Now, of course, there are ways of conditioning men. You can condition them by planting electrodes in their brains. If it comes to that, maybe they'll do it to all of us. But, of course, Skinner feels there are easier ways that can be used to control everybody. And a handful of men, and uh, he admits he is a man who has an urge to dominate others, uh, a handful of men like B.F. Skinner will rule the rest of us, you see, for our own good. We will be uh, automatons, as it were, robots human robots controlled and they'll pull the strings for our welfare because we are not truly responsible. That's a myth. This is the only way to save the world in the future. Now, B.F. Skinner is not a Johnny-come-lately or a nobody. He's a very powerful man. If you go to a job to any most major corporations, the test you take is a test uh, planned by B.F. Skinner. So it's going to eliminate most of you unless you're a good liar. Now, that is the truth. The tests are designed by Skinner to eliminate people like yourself. On top of that, he is very, very influential in his thinking as far as Washington is concerned. Now, he has a view concerning the past which eliminates Christianity as a myth. Therefore, he has a plan for the future to eliminate overpopulation, to eliminate all ecological problems and so on, absolutely controlling us at, at, in every respect. We're not fit to control ourselves. Here is a plan for the future. And your plan and mine runs counter to it. Now, if the issue is going to be decided in terms of who has the most people on their side, he's won. But if there's an absolute truth about history, God, then B.F. Skinner is on a collision course, is he not? He's going to run smack and dab into Almighty God. 
And I don't think it's going to be God who's going to give in to Skinner. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, I'd like to have that if you have a copy. Of... Oh. Uh, well, of course, uh, my question to these people is, if this is so good, your plan for putting e electrodes in everybody's uh, head so that you can control them from a master panel, let's go ahead and do it and turn it over to me. Let me control you. <laughs> of course, then it becomes a different story, you see. It's good if they do it. Yeah. The whole idea of these people is that we are automatons and we're subject to outside stimuli and they want to have inside stimuli so they can control it. Yeah. And I, it, it, the, the whole conception is wrong, but uh, evolutionary is and, and anyone that has any common sense at all can immediately spot it. But these people really put it out. Have you read yet this uh, uh, review of uh, uh, Quigley's book by uh, Leon Skousen? Yes, except I don't like Skousen's book. Because I think the weakness of Skousen is, and it's a deadly weakness, he believes that these people, what they say, first of all, and he believes that they can do what they say they can do, so he is their number one convert without realizing it. That's any other... Questions, yes. Just as a sovereign seminar, you gave up, uh, you talked a little bit about social science, and you had a, uh, you call it that definition again? Yes, social science is the science of the control of man by man. And therefore, social science has replaced history in our schools because they no longer believe in history, but they believe in social science. And they study history with a view to manipulating man in order to gain the social order they want. So it's not, it's not a legitimate No, it is not a legitimate subject in any Christian curriculum. It is a humanistic perspective. Social science is the attempt to control man and the science of the study of man for purposes of control. Yes. Yes. The statement was the changeover was the social studies in thirty seven and then it became social science, of course, and now it is called the humanities. More and more is absorbed into the subject of the humanities, all a part of the whole same social science perspective, but broadened to include English and other subjects. Yes? So often that children will use my True. The question is, uh, the encyclopedias are 
humanistic, which they are, and why don't we have a Christian encyclopedia? The encyclopedia represents one of the most important <coughs> victories and ideas of the humanists. The French encyclopedists were the humanists who were anti-Christian to the core. They decided that the thing to do would be to put out an encyclopedia of all existing knowledge which would be totally anti-Christian, totally humanistic. Since then, all encyclopedias have followed the same basic program. They vary in the extent to which they are uh, revolutionary in their presuppositions, but all encyclopedias, the Britannica and every other one, have as their purpose to promote a kind of knowledge which says, in effect, we must have a social order in which man controls man and controls everything, and you have uh, that kind of society without God without an absolute law, with man's control of man. The reason why you haven't had a Christian encyclopedia is lack of funds. To prepare an encyclopedia requires a few million dollars at the very least. It's a major undertaking. And at this point, there hasn't been anyone to come forward uh, to put up money for such a thing. There has there been through the years. That's the problem. Yes. As a matter of fact, most of your text, well, your textbooks today and your encyclopedias uh, probably as well represent federal subsidies. We don't realize it, but when the state of California chooses a textbook, it chooses a textbook, or if it offers the school a choice of two or three or four, these are from choices submitted by the federal government from textbooks that the federal government subsidized. This is why the textbooks are such beautiful things today as compared with the textbooks of 40 years ago. There are unlimited funds almost to make possible these beautiful textbooks with magnificent illustrations and maps, charts, everything. The modern science, history, and other textbooks English textbooks, are really gems. They're works of art, apart from the content. But they are magnificent uh, and expensive products. Yes, but uh, who wants to put up the money for it? I tried a few years ago to get a number of uh, wealthy people who claim to be Christian interested in a program of textbook writing, and I knew where there were the Christian school teachers who were ready to do it, but none of them could be bothered. Yes? In spite of what you said, would there be older additions that would be of better value? And, and it seems like I can remember doing trying to think of an article about Christianity itself, I think, an old edition of the Britannica, which uh, was, uh, was beautiful. I mean, I, I was surprised. I, I, some, I don't remember what the circumstances were, but I went in the article feeling it was prejudiced and ugly, and uh, I came out of it feeling that it was 
Some of the older encyclopedias have some articles that are acceptable, but the basic perspective is still humanistic. Yes, any other comments or questions? Yes. Uh, how does Macaulay, as an historian, operate? Macaulay? Yes. Uh, Macaulay wrote some very interesting and moving volumes on English history. I like them. But uh, the modern uh, scholars are very hostile to them because there is a Christian perspective uh, in Macaulay. So if you have Macaulay, read him. You'll enjoy him. And basically, he is quite uh, trustworthy. In fact, there are things you can get in Macaulay's History of England that you cannot get elsewhere. You'll never encounter some of the data he has in his books in any other book. How about uh, William Babington Macaulay, M-A-C-A-U-L-E-Y. Isn't that Thomas? Uh, Thomas, excuse me, Thomas Babington Macaulay. But nowadays, if you uh, read anything about Macaulay, it shows nothing but scorn and contempt for him. Yes. Yes, uh, Nesta Webster's French Revolution is her best work. It is her most trustworthy work, and it is an unequaled study of the French Revolution. Now, if it has a weakness, it is that it emphasizes the conspiratorial aspect, which is still true, more than the fact that you had a moral degeneration and a sinful situation. This is the one shortcoming. You see, you had a radical collapse of both the Huguenots and the Catholics in France before the French Revolution became possible. In fact, you had both uh, sides coming out strongly for the revolution. And this is why, after the revolution, uh, both Protestants and Catholics were to all practical intent, dead in France. They were so morally compromised. It was their failure in the generations before the revolution that helped make it possible. Some of their clergymen were leading members of the revolutionary movement. And this aspect, you see, she doesn't touch on, but what she does deal with is excellent. Yes? Could you... Uh Yes, the premillennial position has been very popular uh, since the latter part of the last century until World War II. It is not as strong as it has been since. The premillennial position says that there is no hope in history and basically the only thing to do is to wait for the second coming when Christ will come and establish a Jewish empire which will rule the entire world with himself as king. Now that's the premillennial perspective. The source of it is uh, from uh, uh, Darby, a Church of England uh, clergyman of rather peculiar tendencies, 
out of whom came the Plymouth Brethren, and his most prominent uh, disciple, as it were, was Schofield, whose uh, edition of the Bible has notes in it which propagate this point of view. There are so many contradictions in in, uh, Schofield's notes because he, in effect, makes uh, a cross an afterthought on the part of our Lord and salvation through his atoning work uh, not basic and holds that the temple and the temple sacrifices will be revived and so on, that for years they've been working on a revision. They have one edition of it out and they're not satisfied with it. The contradictions are too great and the movement is splintering some. Its basic stronghold is still the Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas. Yes. Let's see. Uh, uh, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's uh, very well done because you see, when you have a despair of history, as you do among the youth today, there is a flight from history and its problems. Thus, you have the revolt against technology. I'll deal with this in the next Calcedon Report, which characterizes modern youth. There is a great deal of truth in ecology, but there's a great deal of nonsense in it, too. And they are carrying a revolt against technology to the point of trying to return to primitivism. So they want to farm with hoes, as though that's the answer. Uh, They can't grow anything that way. They become childish play actors. They wear clothes that uh, are something out of the movies about the pioneer uh, women and the frontiersmen, and they'll go barefooted or wearing sandals. It's all a primitivism, a flight from history, you see. And this is one reason why there is such an interest in things old now. Well, that's good to the extent that it helps preserve part of the past, but it is sick in that they're running away from the present and the future. They don't like what it has to say. This morning, Dorothy uh, had a discussion with a young woman whose father has just recently retired as a professor of uh, political science. And what is he doing? Well, now that he's retired, he refuses to read even the daily paper (laughs) because he is so sure there's nothing ahead but disaster. But he doesn't want to face anything, and he wants to die in peace, although it may be a long ways ahead before he dies. But he doesn't want to know what's going on in the world today. This is what is characterizing men more and more. And of course, one of the most common forms of escape that men have taken in every period of a collapse, when a faith has collapsed, a civilization, has been sex. They're run away from it. When men have no faith, their reaction to disaster is to try to lose themselves in a wild, frenetic sexuality. As a result, when the uh, San Francisco earthquake hit the Bay Area, the lines at the houses of prostitution were blocks and blocks long. And this happens every time you have a disaster. Why? 
because men are running away from reality. And the bars, of course, do a land office business at a time of a disaster. So they use liquor and sex as an escape. And this is why you're seeing the same thing today. The rise in alcoholism, the flight to drugs, the uh, wild, frenetic sexuality. It's all a flight from problems, a flight from the future. And such people cannot create a future except as disaster. Yes. Ayn Rand. Uh, you mean? Uh, oh, she has been good in calling attention to that, and her book on uh, the New Left is one of her best things. But her answer is just as uh, barren of any meaning. Ayn Rand. Yes, because basically for them everything today is nothing. God is nothing, man is nothing, life is nothing, studying, knowledge, everything is nothing. So you have to see it as a part of their total rejection of meaning, their flight from life. It's pathetic and very, very wicked. Well, our time is just about up. Now, you have your notes or we'll get them this coming Sunday. Please read them because then you can understand more clearly what I shall be saying about the uh, Hebrews, Old Testament history, the Greeks, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and so on next week. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we thank Thee that we have a plan for the future which comes from Thee. We thank Thee that we live and move and have our being in Thee that according to thy word all things work together for good to them that believe in thee, to them who are the called according to thy purpose. Strengthen us, we beseech thee, therefore, in the midst of an evil and despairing generation, that our hearts may ever be filled with hope, our hands busy in thy service, our hearts grateful unto thee for thy government. Bless us to this purpose, we beseech thee. Give us now traveling mercies as we journey homeward. A blessed night's rest and joy in our labors on the morrow. In Jesus' name, amen.